0: gentlemen welcome back to can i interject where three scottish kinsmen have three topics up for discussion and debate along with the along with the (coughs) usual newly coined board game boulevard and our crypto corner from dan (coughs) so to start off with the usual catch up dan what you've been up to the last uh, couple of weeks
1: holly's good uh i think it's important to point out to the listeners that we're recording it today on the 30th of december so are the twilight the twilight days of the year, what a year it's been, but yeah, Christmas was good, Christmas was quiet, I'm i sure it has been for everybody else who's been following the rules, the people haven't been following the rules, it's been a fun wild time, <sighs> nothing really to report, Christmas was good, Santa was good to me as always, I sit here, I have to say this though, I think this is important for the podcast, I say this, I have with me two of the most important presents that relate to our show. Because as our listeners know, we've talked about Rob Riggle, we've talked about the Holy Grail, and I sit here now drinking from that, that chalice. And also, one of the most valuable gifts, which goes with the chalice, a handheld metal detector! Mm. So I, like Rob, can go out hunting for all these lost artefacts, see if Nessie's got a, a, a steel hip or something, and I'll be able to find her in Loch Ness. But it's, uh, yeah, that's about as exciting as it's been for me over the past wee while. Obviously the other night we had uh, an online games night again, and we played a bit of Game of Thrones, we played some loads of Waterdeep, and I think you guys played some Ticket to Ride after I went to bed. So yeah, it was good fun had huh, by all, nice and quiet holiday, very little's been done, hardly been out my pyjamas, it's a
0: wonderful time. Thanks for that, Dan. Gregor, how about you?
2: Uh, yeah, like Dan, uh, celebrate Christmas a good week eating as well. I had a steak pancreas Christmas day. I cooked a goose the other day as well, so enjoyed that. Uh, I got some knives for my Christmas, so enjoyed carving the goose with my new knives. One of them was a pair of knives, also, got picked up some uh, chicken legs that were on discount and deboned the thighs, so that was, I mean, an exciting week. Is
0: that your boning knife? Um,
2: what else do have? I have <laughs> a boning knife, yep. And I got a chef's knife as well. Uh, from Neil, along with a whetstone to keep them sharp. So I'm looking forward to a long and fulfilled life with with those. Also got Neil sent. Neil gave me a book on kombucha and a kombucha scoby. Scoby, yeah. Um, the, the, is that the bacteria?
0: It it's it? just like the starter, yeah.
2: Um, other present highlights include uh, include got rechargeable batteries. I got a water quality meter. So I can measure pH levels of the water in various homebrew products I've got. Uh, Japanese flashcards, meat thermometer, also from Neil. Uh, i got a lot of honey. Orange blossom honey. Uh, i got champagne yeast, a hoodie, and an electric toothbrush.
0: You fancy yourself a champagne brewer?
2: No, it's just because it has a higher tolerance. It goes up to 18%.
0: Oh, right, okay.
2: So still for the mead, um, but the champagne yeast tends to go higher because it's used for carbonation. What else are we up to? Yeah, the game night that was fun. Quite, I really enjoyed that Game of Thrones implementation actually online. It's obviously not as good as in person, but I thought it was quite good. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was. I good. Agree. I agree. Well, thank you very much, Gregor.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, it. that's <laughs> it. Again, that's really, a pre- really a this. I mean, you think, but yeah, that's me. And you do? <laughs> Uh
0: taking a. Taken it down a few gears in the last couple of weeks, I must admit. Just uh, a lot of eating and drinking and playing video games to my heart's content. Uh, we've also had a, had a three bird roast on Christmas; it was very good. Plenty of leftovers to make pies and things like that with. Lots of party food. Uh, yeah, good to say. Uh, like no one mentioned, I won the Game of Thrones that we all loved and enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> You've the
2: not new winning. champion. Just take a part of the Take a part of the games. Uh, it's a it's a sensitive yeah.
0: subject. Let's not get into that. Just enjoying time off and kind of just battering it out until the new year where I'm contemplating dry January for at least a, oh. a, a semi-moist January.
2: Yeah, I've been contemplating that as well. But because I have drunk a lot in the last two weeks. I haven't been off work.
0: Yeah. It's very too, too easy at three o'clock in the afternoon to open a beer. But... We've only got a week left of the holidays and it's back to the grind. But we'll, I'm think uh, in January we'll have a good old uh, fitness catch up. We've we'll not had one in a while. Talking yep. about our new New Year routines or New Year resolutions, if we have any. So we'll get straight into the topics. Then take a big deep dive. Uh, Gregor's going to kick us off with a, an interesting topic we're all familiar with. Um, he's going to kick us off with meal delivery services. Gregor, take it away.
2: Yeah, this is this was uh, inspired by Dan. Uh, last time saying would got the Gusto boxes with it. Uh, so that now we've all had a run at these meal delivery services so we could to, to discuss it and discuss our experiences. And it's also a good one for the new year as well because I'm sure a lot of you will be this is the sort of thing you might look into in the new year to, to kind of give yourself a, a kickstart into 2021. So against uh, all odds I've got notes here. It's wow. less than ten lines, um, but here we go. So the meal delivery kit service—I'll give a brief overview of what it is, and I'll go into some of the history of it. Uh, but it is—it's a service uh, whereby you receive meals uh, for a period of time, usually between kind of three and five days, or maybe two, two and five days. Um, you'll get a a box sent out to by a company. That box. Well, in some cases, it'll contain everything you need. So it'll contain meats, vegetables, spices, um, sauces. In other cases, it might only contain the the sort of spices and sauces, and you need to put in the meat and veg. In others, it might have everything but the meat. I mean, there's, there's a myriad of different options. Um, I mean, there's there's hundreds of companies now that, that offer this across the around around the world, and so. Well, the more popular ones will give you everything you need in the box and you just need to or, or mostly everything It might not have salt and pepper and, and flour and these types of things that uh, most people tend to tend have in their house anyway uh, and that'll allow you to cook one meal per day for the five days so you'll go online you'll pick what you want what you want the meals to be they'll send you out all the ingredients and the portions required, so there's no excess waste in terms of the food, although there's plenty of plastic in a lot of them. And you'll then cook those. And th- typically, they're not long cook times, so maybe, because everything's generally prepped, you might need to chop a few things, but everything's already measured out and, and everything, so there's only, it only takes about half an hour to put together. Um, so maybe about an hour in total for any prep and cook time probably the longest one I've come across, but generally they're, they're really quick to prep. Um, and they really, really tasty in the vast majority of cases as well. So, kicking into the history. Business model originated around 2007-2008 in Sweden, which a couple of companies I think lay really claim to the origin of the idea. Uh, but two of the biggest companies here in the UK are HelloFresh, which is a German meal kit company founded in 2011. Uh, they had an IPO in their or their IPO in 2017, and in 2019 they turned over 1.8 billion euros. So, have a very profitable business, and they employ over 4,000 people. Gisto was launched in 2012. They're based in London and deal around the UK. In 2013, I didn't know this, uh, but they appeared at Dragons Den. I don't know if either you saw that episode or you knew not, about this. No, I didn't. no. no. They're a private company and have had several rounds of funding in the years since. Um, Most recently and and, kind of high uh, in terms of high profile, Joe Wicks invested in the company and he's now a a sort of brand ambassador for them. So he uh, handpicks Mm. uh, recipes on their their website. So Joe Wicks of uh, well, leading 15 originally and then uh, lockdown workout fame. Or lockdown PE class fame. So there we are. That's (laughs) fast one, let's go.
1: <laughs> a whirlwind adventure.
2: Yeah, i have been talking for a long time. Um, so, Dan, you're newest to the game, and you've sort of experienced this most recently. Let's talk us through your. How did you get into it? Um, well, I mean, there's only one answer to that, really, isn't there? And I'm sure it's the same for all of us. But and how did how did you find it?
1: The Household's been doing it for five, six weeks now, something like that. Really good. Really enjoying it. How we got into it, I have no idea. All I know is a box turned up one day and we started eating from it.
2: Presum- Presumably got a deal.
1: <laughs> Presumably we got a deal. Presumably got a deal, but it was kind of, like, kind of like a classic stoke and baby situation. This box just appeared on my door. And I was like, no, that's fine, I love that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that I appreciate there's a deal involved. Really good. Very good quality ingredients. Very look after ingredients as well i would have said they're very just do seem to be quite within reason they should be quite careful with what they put in the boxes how it's handled how it's presented i love the wee boxes that the eggs come in they're very charming especially when you got four to feed, you have got double portions of everything all these flaming little egg boxes coming out yeah it's just really nice really good quality freshness is there uh, the imagination behind the recipes is there as well. Really good variety of options. I mean, today we had we had one for lunch today. In fact, because we just have a small dinner, so we had chicken schnitzel with potato chips. You know, you can make them yourself, which is really good. I like doing that. And uh, like a cabbage coleslaw, pickled cabbage coleslaw, really nice, really flavoursome, great quality ingredients. They also have branded products inside it as well. So if you have like, condiments and stuff, they might be Heinz. There might be Lee and Perring if you've got um, Worcestershire sauce or something like that. Well, it's got that standard, which we really appreciate because, you know, you like fresh food. You like fresh quality food. We like making things and using good quality ingredients. So I have, apart from two bashed apples that we got a couple of weeks ago, I have no complaints.
2: It cost wise, what do you what do you think? Um, you said you were on a deal, but
1: I'm going to say it's fine because I don't know what it costs.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the chancellor in this house. So, so you just uh, see it,
2: see it turn up and eat it.
1: Yeah, I'll just, I'll just. I mean, usually, usually, it's, you know, usually I see the box with all the ingredients, and then because I'm usually home quite late from work, I see the final product. But when I get the chance, I do quite like cooking with them. You know, they come with the little menu and ingredients cards as well. They're really straightforward to follow, but it does make me laugh sometimes because you get into a bit of a rhythm of using the ingredients, then it suddenly asks you to use butter or milk. Yeah. And I'm like, "Where's my sachets? Where's my portions? Or oh, I've got to use my own. So mm-hmm. it's a bit of a bit of a run around to try and t- to get that together. But you know, everything else is included. It's, it's ridiculous yeah. the stuff that they include, and that they actually cater for you. Like you said, there are certain things that you need to have, like milk and butter and salt and pepper. But pretty much everything else is included, which is great.
2: Yeah. What I find really interesting as well is that they were all really tasty. Like it, they didn't seem to include a whole lot of sort of spices and things. Like they, they include things like um, maybe garlic and ginger and yeah. a couple of herbs and spices. And it's it doesn't look like enough, uh, but it really does. It is really, really tasty. Like for yeah, the small sort of flavourings, the small portions of flavourings got in there, which I, which I was surprised with, because I've followed recipes from cookbooks before that have done sort of similar things that have a clove of garlic and a bit of ginger and uh, a couple of spices or whatever, and it's it's quite bland, but they always manage to get the flavour right. I think Neil, thoughts? You're a, you're a seasoned veteran at uh, these sorts of services now.
0: An aficionado, I think. Yeah. Um, I got into this in autumn 2018, as it was just very, uh, very soon after I'd moved into my new flat in London, and a HelloFresh box turned up on the door. I <laughs> uh, didn't order it, so I thought right, okay. But there was a name and a number on the box for delivery purposes, so I texted the number. Said, "I think you used to live here. This is your HelloFresh box," and she said. Well, oh, no, I'm on holiday now, so you just keep it. I was like, right, okay. So, uh, a nice little surprise, went through, eat it, really enjoyed it. So I did my research online. I, I got the HelloFresh free trial, enjoyed it, as a lot of nice recipes, but a bit too much on the expensive side. Uh, so I found another one, a company, called, a company in London called My MyCookBox. We did it for about £10 cheaper, I think it was £25 a week for three meals times two. Uh, so I did that for a good three months, but I started, they started to go a bit downhill with the ingredients, not, sometimes not fresh, sometimes misplaced, sometimes wrong ingredients, sometimes not there at all. So I moved over to Gusto, and that was by far the, the most impressive one for me. We've got the Joe Wicks recipes, there's a lot more choice. So like 30, at that time there was about 32 recipes a week you can choose from. You can upgrade the steak or salmon for an extra couple of pounds. And, yeah. tasted very good. Some great some great ideas. I've got Caesar, Caesar sauce they make with yogurt. I use that probably once a week at the moment. As it's very nice and it's very low in calories. Uh, they're super lucky. Very good recipe. It's just honey and oregano basically and soy sauce. So lots of great ideas, but I don't do it anymore. It doesn't seem cost-effective for me, because at the time, I mean, I did, I did gusto did go still full price for months as well, but I found every single time I was still adding to the adding more meat to every dish, especially because I was I'm kind of a at the time I was eating one meal a day, and it's I needed a, a bit a much more substantial meat meal. Mm, yeah, so, you know, pleasant experience, but price is a bit too high for consistent use
2: interesting yeah I, I know what you mean with uh, when you're talking about the caesar dressing because like dan was saying you get the recipe cards and you get you obviously get to hold on to them and we've made well we've kept most of them we chucked out some of the gusto ones because we weren't too fast on them and they were a bit similar to other ones we've got as well but we got a free box for hello fresh for five days and that's how we, earlier in the start of lockdown, be must have been earlier this year and then uh, really liked it, um, and so we looked at other deals, and we got Gusto with 50% off for the first box, and then 35% off the rest of the month, so we got a few four four day boxes um, with that, and again really enjoyed it. I'd probably say I preferred the HelloFresh, um, but we did not only have the one box, I don't know if it's just because we got fatigued with some of the Gusto recipes yeah. having over the, f- the full month but after the Gusto ended what we'd do is we would basically, because we'd had 25 recipes up to that point and so we probably kept about maybe 15 of those recipe cards and so what we'd do is just plan our meals for the week for the five days, we'd do the shop and then we'd just portion the things into the different, because when we got the Gusto stuff through, or the Fresh stuff through we'd put it to like paper bags anyway yeah. in the cupboard and the fridge so we just started doing that, and then putting all the greens on the, the on the list for the shopping, and then just a portion of it. So I'm probably looking to do that again starting the year because uh, kind of got out of the habit towards end of end of last year. But that really seemed to work. It's more cost effective. It's a bit more work, but you go to the shop. You're still need to go to the shops anyway because you it only good does you one meal a day. Yeah. So you still need your your breakfast. I mean, you you're not buying as much obviously because. Uh, you spend spending on this uh meal delivery service. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it's, it's very, very convenient. You're still cooking, but it's it's really interesting, um, when you're cooking. They make the recipes that, there's so much variety.
0: I was it's introduced me to a lot of ingredients as well. Things like and we, they, I think one of them Bombay potatoes with Nigel Right. I mean it's just open my eyes to something. Like I've never heard, heard of Nigelices before. Mm. Mm-hmm. That that's how you make
2: Bombay potatoes and ketchup mayonnaise as well. With yeah, <laughs> that's delicious. But even cooking techniques, like some of the curries they make, are just so simple. Yeah, and true. you chicken take a chicken tikka masala one, and they kind of beef it up with butternut squash and we've used like sweet potato and things, and in, it's in and it's just it's a tomato sauce, the passata, and then just a little bit of yogurt, and you just mix it, in it's just so easy.
0: I, I, yeah, I'm surprised at how much cooking skills required for a lot of them. Some some of them, the recipes are 30 minutes, and it's full, fully, all-gun blazing cooking for mm-hmm. 30 minutes. And doing all the timings right and everything, and follow cards, sometimes it's not that easy.
2: As long as There's, you, a, as long as you a read ahead, involved. yeah, as long as you read ahead, though, there was a couple that I was... As
1: long
2: as you read 22, there was a couple that had a lot going on, because... You've sometimes got the rice pot. You do well. We've got rice cookers. So it's not that that eliminates that. But you've got you've got a rice pot. You've got the oven. You've got something on the stove as well. And so there's there's a few things you need to keep an eye on. But generally, I thought they were really well laid out and really easy to follow.
0: I agree for all the ones you've cooked in. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: believe it or not, I'm, I actually really like cooking and I enjoy the opportunity to cook. So for me, this is really good because it's introduced me to new recipes. I'm used to working under pressure, so cooking under pressure is no different, especially with some of the stuff. They, they're very well laid. I would say they're very cleverly laid out because a lot of the recipes that I've done, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of the recipes that Jillian's done as well, they seem to have this little section that says, and now for 10 minutes, sit back, have a cup of tea, chill. So it's obviously designed so that... A, you've got the time to sit back if you need it, you know, if you get everything done. But also, that gives you time to get other things done as well, so if you're running a bit late, it's actually accommodating time and the constraints of time and everything as well, especially for people who maybe aren't so confident with with the the recipes and sort of with the ingredients. And like myself, I forget I need to get milk out.
2: Yeah, I think if I had a sort of rating system for the complexity of the, the cooking... That would be a good addition, I think. I've not seen that in any of the. Yeah. So i have not really looked for it, but I, I don't. I don't think that's on any of the. It's not on the cards, but I don't think it's on the website either. That'd be really good. Uh, but yeah, I have thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Four and Because um, we're cooking for four. It you know it, it tells you on the on the recipe this mm-hmm. is for two, and they obviously send you the double because you know that that's how many you need for four, and it just it tells you should yep. go through. Don't forget that you need to use this much if you've got four people, this much if you need to do double, which is really helpful.
2: It's really good for portion control as well, because we always fall in the trap of, we'll ju- if we're making a meal, we'll just make more than we need, and then we'll just have tomorrow, like because I'm working from home now, so I'll just have the rest for tomorrow for lunch. But then you end up overfilling your plate yeah. in the evening, and so th- the leftovers aren't a yeah. full meal.
0: I found I did that anyway, but I guess I was eating it for one, two meals for one. Right. (laughs) Well, I would get the three three meals a week for myself. I'd get one vegetarian one, so share with myself. So generous. Uh, But did you find find that if you get the box delivered on the Monday, sorry, this is something I've found, if you get the box delivered on the Monday, the chicken won't last till Friday?
2: So, we usually had a plan. We only got the HelloFresh Fresh one once, so that was the only one that had the five days on it. Because the gusto was a max four days, so it, only lasted, it was only to Thursday. Some, we did find that some of the ingredients were dated, particularly the meat, some were dated to like the Wednesday, and some were dated to the Friday. And so that limited our options in terms of what we could eat on what day. Because we, we would have picked our meals based on what we thought we'd be in that week. But then we might have had yeah. to rejig around. Because of the dates on some of the the, the the goods, but generally everything lasted as long as there. there wasn't a, a case where, um, before the meals were out of date on by the Wednesday, and there's one day to yeah. the Friday, it was always possible <coughs> to, to eat it throughout yeah. throughout the week. Well, thanks very much for your input, guys. Um, so I guess to summarize, we've all enjoyed and. I'd recommend to our listeners. We I mean, we don't get any commission for this, sadly, but um, there's always a deal on for these various meal delivery services. So if you are interested, um, I'm sure they've got their best deals in place for the new year as well. Um, which I mean, this has gone out mid January, so you probably missed them. But <laughs> I saw I saw one <laughs>
1: advertising on the TV for I think it was vegetarian and/or vegan option as well. It was I forget what it was called. I've never seen it before, but it right. was especially for people who weren't looking for meat options. Uh, just, just vegetarian or vegan? Yeah, they that's do. The but right this one is it right? It was, it was, yeah. it was it had the word plant in it. That's as much as I can remember. I'm sure we'll catch it. Catch it in the fact in the fact check.
2: Plant we'll chef. the
1: fact check. Um, but uh, yeah. I saw that today, so you know, it, it's a big business, and people are. I think more people are using it probably now as well because there's the uncertainty about going outside, it's
0: safer. Or
2: home
0: cooking yeah. as well. People are home cooking.
2: Yeah, people have more you time to continue
0: cook. Continue to use them. Dan, you already use them continuously, so yeah. With Gregor, uh, I think we're okay. we're looking at another one of them, oh, yeah. I think.
1: But you know, we're not going to, like Neil says, it's it. it, it you know, if we're honest, it is expensive because you could probably buy yeah. get the recipe card and buy the ingredients for cheaper in supermarkets if you are a savvy shopper.
2: It's not too much more expensive, though. Okay, I mean, and considering you are not going to the supermarkets to buy. Like it depends how the yeah. discipline you are you're shopping and, and such anyway, but it's it's definitely more convenient, and it's just I mean like all these things are worth paying for the convenience.
1: And it's it's a lot harder with younger children. You know, I can I can convince a twelve-year-old to eat it, but a five-year-old's a bit of a fight. So it is. It's all about knowing that and picking our battles. Because there'll be days where where the youngest won't have what we're having, so we'll need to cater for him as well. <laughs> That's it. Let's get the nutrition. Let's get the,
0: let's get the nutrition counted up. Michael,
2: cool. will you continue to use them? So, well, I've, I've not done that since summer. Um, we're going to plan to get back into that sort of meal prep after the new year. So, the similar sort of idea, but just doing ourselves yeah. and then portioning up the food. Oh, it's, it's, it's doing a big shop on the Sunday night, for instance, and then portioning up the food on the on the Monday uh, for the week, and then having to set meals at the weekend, sort of thing. So yeah, I'm gonna get back into that, but I'd definitely consider it again, even at full price, maybe just for, um, like a couple of weeks or a month, because it is, it does. I find it really good as a sort of restart because that's one one less thing you need to worry about. Yeah, like that's that's going to turn up. That's just sorted for four or five days of the week, cooking wise. Uh, you know, it doesn't take long, so it's not it's it's doable. Um, so you'd definitely consider doing it again, even at even at full price, not 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 on a consistent basis, but certainly short term. Uh, but I think after we are going to start starting that meal planning and then uh, the just try try to manage ourselves really. Yeah. And Neil, you, uh,
0: I've not done it in ages. I still hold on to some of the recipes dearly, the chicken Caesar, the Caesar salad, and the soup mm-hmm. glancy pork. But there's occasionally I still get this email. I used to do Simply Cook. I've done a couple of trials with them. Uh, which is just comes like little four little pots of sauces, or it'll be with our, our herbs or seasonings. And it's, I get an email. It's like eight pounds. You get four. A set of four for eight pounds. So I'll get them sometimes. But that's just things you'd as a treat. Mm-hmm. You still have to buy all the ingredients. But it's like you've got a thing like Mongol curries and Bombay biryanis. I'm looking at here. So yeah, I have taken inspiration yep. from them. Let's say.
2: Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Um... Thanks, thanks all for your, thanks both for your inputs. Um, I suppose that wraps it up unless there's anything else wants to pick up on that topic.
0: No, thanks very much, Gregor. We are, we are now moving on to our board game boulevard segment. I'll kick us off with board game boulevard this week, with a fairly new game on the scene. It was brought to our world in 2010.
2: No, it wasn't. That's it's a lie. A
0: game called Articulate Your Life.
2: It's artic. What about? Art- yeah, oh, no, it's kid's version. older than that. I played at Sunday school.
0: <laughs> Whoa, that old? So, well, yes. So, it's one of the newest games to our classic segment. First released in 1992. 2010 to 1992. 28 years ago, 29 years ago. Uh, it's for 4 to 20 players. Age 12 and up. The, the players are set out in teams. So, we played this on Christmas Day my fiance, her mum, and her partner. So there were two teams, be my fiance, um, her mum, and her partner. And the aim of the game is to circulate the entire board. So the board game is set up with a circle, a circle of various colours related to certain topics. Uh, you will be then given 30 seconds to read off a Trivial Pursuit type card, and you have to describe... What's on the card So say if it's cat You would say Similar to a dog But smaller And the person would then guess cat Hopefully and Hopefully you, And then you You have, you have to <laughs> uh, well you, So you'd Try and get as many of these In 30 seconds And you would Progress around the board The number of cards That you managed to get And there's Points in the game Where you can be moved forward and backward Depending on A spinner in the middle uh, that's just to add a bit more excitement into the game, and I don't know how many squares there are in total around the game. Several. <laughs> As always, <laughs> high detail in this podcast.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, but no, it's a it's a fun game. Obviously, people, you're guessing you're only allowed one pass per rounds. Generally, when we were playing, you would get three to four cards if you were lucky. So it's not it's still still quite a long game. There are a lot of chances. For people to move forward and backwards in the game. And it's just general fun of the kind of interactive, interactive of the game as well. And there's points in the game if you land on certain squares, you have to, you have to give a card, you have to give a subject out to the whole group and they can guess as well. So yeah, I believe we we all played this a couple of years ago. I believe.
2: We did play Dead Dance at Christmas.
0: See, I thought this, but I, can only, I can't remember physically playing it. I can only physically remember playing Cranium. We, de- we definitely, definitely we played, played Cranium,
2: before. but we, unless this is a round in Cranium, but we definitely played an Articulate. If it wasn't Articulate, it was an Articulate style game. I'm sure it wasn't Dan I was not Articulate. I,
1: I was going to say the last time I played it was over 10 years ago, so clearly I don't remember playing this.
2: It may have been part of Cranium. What's the round in Cranium?
0: Cranium is where you get the Play-Doh and things like that, so you have to do molds, I know, you there's have to do... Different you have to do charades, different you have ones. To do, so. It's a similar setup to Articulate.
2: No, I'm sure it was Articulate we played. Well,
0: so the slogan for Articulate is just exactly what it says: a fast, talk, fast talking description game, which sums up perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. So since we all played it two years ago, or is anyone? No, played that, was I
2: played it. that was the last time I played. That's the last time I've
0: touched it. Apparently,
2: I think I played it twice, and well, I kind of played it like just playing about. Like in short games at work and stuff.
0: What's your thoughts on it? It's different. It was very different from our previous classic games. It's not, not much of a strategy game. It's more of a interactive description game.
2: I really like Articulate. This is easily my favourite classic game that we've discussed so far. Um, I played this first when I was about 16 maybe? it's Sunday school, like I was saying. We just played it in our group and that was when I was first introduced to it and then we played it I can't remember specifically playing it but I'm sure I've played it since then Um, um, but then we played played it at Christmas Um, we played it in sort of uh, works team meetings and things like that as well I I really like it Um, it's it's just really satisfying to play I I don't know if I can explain it but I I like being on both sides of it and the trying to guess and the trying to give clues because you there's sometimes you just get a good card and you get into that rhythm with a with an R player that you're just you're just firing through them like you get through one every couple of seconds. Um, yeah. That's really good. And there's other times where it's the same two people, but you just you get stuck on one for ages. It's just it's not clicking. And I think yeah, I, I just really like the whole thought process behind it. I just find it really enjoyable because it's not a trivia, it's not a trivia game at all. Um, it's a sort of communication game. Well, it's a communication game, but there's a lot more layers to it as well. In terms of you providing clues that you think the per- the person guessing it would need to guess it, rather than you just providing generic cl- cl- uh, clues. Yeah. So there's that sort. Of, yeah. So yeah, that, that sort that, of tailoring your own clues to it. Yeah. Th- really enjoy playing this. Um. I, as I, said, I just find it really satisfying. Um especially when you get it right, when you get into rhythm with them.
1: Darren, what's your thoughts? I'm not really fussed, if I'm honest, on the game. It's not something I particularly find overly stimulating or exciting. I think it's a game that works if you're teamed with somebody who understands you, and you understand them, and you share and understand each other's thought processes, so it needs to be somebody you spend a lot of time with. Because you could give a clue for something and try to describe something, which you know that, X would understand, but if you're stuck with Y or Z, you're like, like Gillian always tells a, you know, she she tells a story. about when she played it with a friend once, and they absolutely beasted through the through the questions because they knew each other really well and they knew the way that each other thought and they knew that if you said this, it must mean this. We played a couple of years ago. Before then, I hadn't played it since oh, 2008. So it's not a game that I. I don't actively find or hunt out. We've got it on the shelf, gathering dust for the past two years or so because it's not being touched. It's fine, you know. It's like you know, it's a, it's a bit of fun. It is. It's nothing serious about it at all. Well depends who you play with, but it's it's not you know, it's not it's not geared towards to being a serious game. It's a bit of fun, you know. Similar to similar to Pictionary, you know. It's just you know, you don't have to be the best at it. You just have to be able to describe something and hopefully. Your team will be able to get it. It's it's verbal charades, really. Um, so yeah, I'll play it. I'll probably get competitive while I'm playing it, invariably. Uh, but it's not something I'd, I'd seek out intentionally to
0: play. That's actually one of the parts I enjoyed about it was the competitiveness because you are as a personal game. There's not it's not a dice roll or anything. But there, got one criticism. Is if you land on, I think it's every five squares or so. If it's if you can see it matching into the middle, then you get to spin the spinner in the middle, and that's just pure luck. So someone could be, someone could land quite luckily on these squares, and you'd be able to move the the winner back three places every single time yeah. they land on one of these. That's my only criticism. the where a game can be ruined by luck, and that's where. The competitiveness yeah. ramps
2: up even more. Yeah, I think what I'm talking I'm talking about the the basic mechanic. I, I, I don't think I don't know if we played with the board when we played uh, played the dance. I think we maybe really just played the cards with the cards and then kept score, which is a fine fine enough game in itself. Um, but I agree with Dan that somewhat in terms of if you get a good partner, then they're more likely to do well. But I remember when we played at yours, it was. We were, it was the last round, and we needed a full card, whoever team I was on. Um, But it was your fiance, Neil, that read out the clues, and we got every single one of them, like within time as well. And that brought us back. And I just thought it's something everybody can play, and it's not limited in the same way that uh, Trivial Pursuit is, I don't think. So, like, her nieces and nephews could play. Uh, maybe not nephew, <laughs> but niece could certainly play. I'll tell you, uh, what,
1: you, could, you could give him a good go for it if you gave him the right words.
2: Yeah. Whereas she probably couldn't compete in triple pursuit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I think I think the I think the listeners need to rem- need to understand that I don't remember this last thing that you keep talking about. So you could be telling me anything you want to be like, yeah, that sounds about right.
2: Yeah. I, I guess my point is. It brings people together as well because it does get you to like it's it's a good it's a, it's a group activity a group activity that every everyone can participate in.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's I think I think the it's it's something that's been made into a board game. I don't think it's a natural board game. That kind of game, it's more like a it's a parlor game, is what it yeah. is. I would say it's like a traditional parlor game, which has been sort of reconstructed so you can have a board and you can have points and you can keep a score and you can move yeah. round and
2: all it's, that verbal, it's verbal charades, like Neil said.
1: Yeah, I said.
2: That's okay. Oh, Dan said.
1: So you don't even listen to the words I'm saying. No, we'd never be any use on the team. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Some of the rules, I think, are very important as well. One of the main ones is you can't yeah. act yeah. things out. And you're, as this was touched on earlier, you're only allowed to skip once per round. So if you get caught, and it happened to me at least twice, if you get caught with two yeah. really bad cards at the start, yeah. then you could. There's one time we got a zero points, so you just got one skip, and then yeah, you can't even explain the next one. But one of the words was some.
2: Yeah, some of them are a bit. Some words are definitely more difficult than others. except I, I remember playing at Sunday School. One of them was the Cape of Good Hope. Like that's <laughs> that that's a bit of geographical knowledge required for that one. Like it's not. <laughs> it's not for everyone. Um, so there's a bit, but. At the same time, yeah.
0: Let's go straight into the rating Scores on the nose, Gregor.
2: I'm tempted to give this an eight, actually. Whoa! I just, I, I can't state enough how, just how much I enjoy playing this. I'm very surprised.
0: Yeah, I'll go for eight as well. What
1: about you, Dan? Five. <laughs> I'm, go- I'm sorry. I'm not. You know, I'm. Not, I'm going to nestle it in the middle because I'm not. I'm not that. You know. You know, if you were to say to me. Give me a list of board games to put down that we could possibly do as a topic. This would be I would probably wouldn't even refer to this one. Without some without some nudging.
2: The, I mean the reason it's not higher for me, I think, is <laughs> it is it is a bit it can it can get a bit samey, I suppose, and I've not I've not fallen into that yet because I don't think I've played it enough. But if you played this every weekend, like it, I can imagine it yeah. boring because it is yeah. a sort of one-trick pony. But because of the sort of infrequency I play it, I'll, whenever I do play it, I always really enjoy it. I say we'll
0: we'll go give you a lot of cards.
2: Oh around. yeah, I'm not saying you run out of cards and you will come across the same ones. I'm just saying yeah. that that feeling that you get of sort of that feeling I get with sort of satisfaction um, when yeah. you are playing it, it might fade um, if you play more frequently.
0: Okay, great. rounded it up well. We're we'll back. Next time with our modern games. So we're gonna move on to my topic this week. The wonderful world of forks scratching. This is a short one. This is uh... Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Attempt at a singular segment on a food. A Gregor special.
2: Is this after the success of the Daily Dunkers? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, so, a quick rundown. Uh, it's commonly known in America as pork rinds, in the UK, more pork scratchings. Uh, it's basically pig skin chopped up into small chunks and fried and baked until golden crispy. And
2: salted.
0: And salted, yeah. Can be cooked in vegetable fat or pork fat or any way they want. Stereotypically, this is a pub snack generally eaten by old men but the last couple of years I believe, well I know it has turned a new corner in the light of the world. Uh, I think this is probably down to the popularisation of the ketogenic diet, the more people onboarding onto that, I think. Um, but 2009, publicised by astounding literature sources. We've got a great names such as The Telegraph, The Daily Mail, Cornwall Live and The Yorkshire Examiner. Well,
2: when you're, who, re- when you're resorted to the Cornwall Live and The Yorkshire Examiner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> who have publicised it as 2019's New Superfood. Thank God it's almost 2021. Which... Uh, right, so I started eating them last February. First time I've ever eaten them, actually. With purpose going to eat them. I ate them February purely because I was going the carnivore diet. It was kind of like a replacement for crisps as a snack that I could have. Uh, surprisingly, not as many calories as I thought, being a stereotypical fat. I just, I just thought it was fat. But I'll just run through some of the nutrition.
2: Just bev- before <laughs> you do, I just want to... Take note of that fact. There's not many people who go on a diet and swap out crisps for pork scratchings.
1: I think the term diet. I think I think it's I think it should be renamed as um, an alteration to dietary habits, a lifestyle. That's it. Lifestyle
2: change.
0: Diet. Right, you can hear me out oh. this one. Hit us with it. Uh, I'll run through the nutritional. I had to um, look at it myself. Nutrition per hundred grams. Yeah. Uh, the ones I've found. So per hundred grams, you've got three hundred calories. Uh, 25.7 grams of protein 20.8 grams of fat and 0 grams of carbs These vary depending on the fats that are cooked in the process
2: Can I I read out mine? Just for comparison So per 100 grams 653 calories 52.7 grams of fat 0.4 carbohydrates and 44 grams of protein and 3 grams of salt
0: Yeah, these must be a light version I've looked at Yeah,
2: prostration's light
0: I eat well. Yeah, you do get like, yeah, Yeah. Uh, and some of them you get 140 calories per packet. I've tried many different kinds. I I eat them every. I have a packet a day usually, but just a small 14 gram packet. It's only 80 calories. Um, Packed full of collagen. They say it's a concentrate. It's just a concentrated packet of collagen, uh, which is obviously good for the hair, nails, and skin. But more recently, I think they've become popular. Uh, I'm more hip and trendy with the new flavours that have come out. Uh, salt and vinegar from cocktail. Uh, my personal favourite, the Carolina Reaper flavour that you can get on Amazon. Can't eat too many of them, but I sometimes have them as just a meal, a meal on their own. A bag of pork scratchings, a nice four, or 500 calorie meal. A nice 70 gram bag. Uh, sometimes replaces my lunch entirely. But yeah, so I've asked you guys to eat a packet because I don't believe that you would be Eating these regularly, not many people do. Uh, so Dan is the most reluctant to try.
1: Oh. <laughs> we'll hear from you. Hey, I'm not reluctant because I've had them before. You make it sound as though it's some type of new exotic dish that we've never had before. I, I think I think I need to start off with st- issuing a very special apology, and I don't apologise very often. Gregor, I will never say anything disparaging against Daily Dunkers again. <laughs> They are safe. They are safe from now on. I would all it's starting to look good <laughs> now, isn't it, Dan? I have no idea. I would also say to any of our Muslim or Jewish listeners, apologies for discussions about dried pig skin. <laughs> Probably not appreciated as much.
2: Fried, fried, and pork yeah, fat. Yeah,
1: exactly. So <laughs> th- this, if you want to skip forward about three minutes, you're welcome to just get to stay into the next topic. <laughs> um, um. I don't know what I'm going to say, a Gregor and I never said it. I don't know what you want me to say. It's they they I don't <laughs> like. I'm not a big fan of very crunchy food, so I'm not a fan of them already. I'm sitting there sucking on them like they're a wine go- like they're a flaming humbug, trying to soften them a bit to get some, just to get a bit of purchase on the bite. I, I don't like them, and it's a real shame because my my granddad does. He's a big fan of them, so I've always felt a bit of a disappointment with regards to that. You know.
0: I, dr- I don't know. <laughs> i genuinely lost. <loved. laughs> okay, you don't like them. Okay, Greg, are only one of you.
2: I've tried. I tried them. I think only once before today. <laughs> Cause I had a little packet before we signed <laughs> under instruction. Uh, it was from a pub in our hometown, of which what there's five or six. Can you guess which one? Crown.
0: Yep.
1: But oh, another, sh- another shout-out <laughs> to the crowd. I think
0: we've had that on the previous episode.
2: Previous, previous, uh, under previous management. Yeah, under previous management. Um, substantial meal on themselves, I've heard. So you could go there today <laughs> Um <laughs> for scratches and a pint. I vividly remember eating them. I shared a packet with my friend. Well, he bought them because he likes them. Um, he... I vividly remember them being very solid. Uh, You'll do to Dan, and I remember them sticking my teeth for ages. I've since had, and this is going to be controversial as oh. well. I've since had crackling,
1: Ooh.
2: and see. I'm not the biggest fan of crackling. I did make it myself, and I'm not so I'm not entirely sure it was correct because I also found that incredibly tough and chewy. I'm
0: the same. No, you didn't do it right. Right. Okay. You have to salt it heavily salt
2: it. I did heavily salt it and I scored it and it puffed up but I just found the top layer was really crisp it was, I mean it was all really crisp but it had that sort of it was similar in texture to this except just a lot tougher
1: I, No no, I agree with Greg on that one just to, you know, it's the same thing I'm not a massive fan of crackling either I, I prefer like the, the medium soft bit at the bottom of the crackling rather than the actual chewy bit on the top mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, because it kind of well, goes like that. Neil,
1: you've been in Yorkshire for too long. Having eh,
0: crackling. In. Well, I tell you Dan, actually, if you like the soft bits, I got a lovely packet of pork scratchers from the farm shop earlier today. <laughs> from that I'll the send farm you to shop. It's got a lot of soft. It's got a lot of soft bits in you it. They'll be sending some of that wine as well. They do their own. They do their own homemade one. It's delicious. Hey, so, Gregor, did you enjoy them when you tried them today?
2: There's a bit of a story to this because I went through a sort of uh, roller coaster today. So I bought them. <laughs> Just prior, I went for a wee walk prior to this. Picked up two packets of forty grammers, forty gram bags. Um, these are let's look, look over them. Great Taste Award winner, twenty nineteen. Now I did check, and they did win, um, but they're not on the not on the winners list for twenty twenty. So I don't know if that tells you anything. They are traditional pork scratchings, finest quality, hand cooked, the ultimate pub snack. Mm-hmm. That's how they're described. I've already mentioned the nutritional information. So you can't be eating too many in a day. But so I've had one forty gram bag prior to the show. F- f- first let's start with the texture. So it's similar to crackling, or how I imagine crackling to be. It's got a, a crispy top layer and then what what I presume is a softer fat like which saying? its collagen underneath. The sort of softer layer.
0: That's just part of the skin, yeah.
2: Yeah. You found the texture what's the word? I'd say discomforting to begin with because that softness is not, so, like I don't, I generally don't like raw fat, I don't know if many people do, uh, but I suffered through the first few bites um, and I, I, came, I came to quite like it because of the different textures. When I finished the packet I was almost sickened by the amount of salt in it. <laughs> and just the the general sort of greasiness of them, despite them being <laughs> almost bone dry. Uh, how does that greasy I've no idea. However, having said that, I've got another forty gram bag here. And I've thought about opening them through the show, and I'll probably have them tonight when we're playing uh, Dead by Daylight. <laughs> so, like I say, I've on a roller coaster, so they've grown on me through this last what, two hours. <laughs> well I'll be buying them. A- Will we find them again? No, I don't think it will be. Uh, we'll enjoy the second bag, uh, probably, maybe.
0: I do have one criticism: is the I a lot of people don't like the soft, fleshy part of it. What I do, it's like I a grainy fat. I do quite enjoy that. I, but some of them are just. I'm surprised I've still got teeth that I've, I've not chipped any. It's quite common for people to chip their teeth on these things.
2: Yeah. These were definitely even the crispy bits were soft. Not that they were soft; they were still really crispy, but they were a lot easier to eat than what I remember them being. What I remember from last time, I don't know, if it was just this particular brand, but this was definitely. I don't remember the soft as much soft bits, but the crispy bits are definitely a lot easier to eat than the last time. I mean, this was this was about fifteen years ago now.
0: <laughs> I do, I do um, agree with the feeling of complete indulgence of salt and fat after them. Sometimes I find myself feeling quite sick. Yeah. If I've eaten like a full 70 gram bag i remind you <laughs> after eating a Domino's but then same again, two hours later I'll be back. It's like an addiction.
2: Yeah, well, I mean yeah. You, you are kind of drawn to, to fats and things that hurt me as so a species and salts. So yeah, it ticks those boxes. Uh, but yeah, I probably won't be back. I'd, like for the calorie content, if I was having this something calorific it would definitely be peanuts like, it maybe even coated peanuts, something like that
0: say, say that, your 40 gram bag is what, 300 calories?
2: Uh, 2.61
0: 2.61, this is the same as a bag of Doritos pretty much
2: Yeah, but this is only 40 grams and the Doritos is about 100 grams
0: You'll be more satisfied after a bag of 40 grams of pork scratchings than you will after a Well, You say
2: satisfied, less willing to eat anything else yeah. is how i describe just
0: yeah, exactly. the, the, the longing for a pint or five pints of water will be, will be great. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Okay. Right. Well, well rounded up. It's a two no's and a yes from me.
2: No, well, that's, uh, I, I said a, a jo- I wouldn't buy them again yeah. um, because I prefer nuts as a snack. But I wouldn't be... If they were on... If they're at someone's house, when we're allowed to go into people's houses again, in a little dish, uh, I'd probably I'd probably pick up. It. I mean, they're not going to be a grand, granddad, so I don't know where they would be, but if they were, I may pick up a few.
0: I, I do believe they've become a lot more popular in recent years, in the last two years, due to the ketogenic diet. So What's you're you're pushing stuff? them from a health from a health perspective rather than a, a basket perspective. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is a, it's, a, it's a ketogenic snack where... A so are peanuts.
2: Calorie, so are peanuts. Yeah, I,
0: mean, I mean, you've got 260 calories there, Gregor. How many grams of protein have you got there?
2: That's a lot. It's 17, 18, just about 18 grams in my 261 calories. That's
0: half a chicken breast.
2: Yeah, it is a lot of protein.
0: And a lot of essential it is,
2: fats. It, yeah, it is a lot of essential fats because there's only... There's about two-thirds unsaturated fat.
0: Well, is your, is your, can I just see your mind changing there, Gregor?
2: No, I mean, as a hel- <laughs> but as a healthy option, I'm, still like peanuts are good for you as well. And I'd, despite peanuts being solid, I cannot see them having three grams of salt per hundred grams. That's half your daily dose. Half your daily RDA. <laughs> I'm
0: just looking at the. Well, yeah. So I'm looking at interest over time on Google Trends, and we did hit an all-time high in October 2020. There you go. Well, all the pubs open again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now the interest Trying is going to gonna go, go through the floor now. We, we have seen a linear rise since 2004, maybe just due to people using the internet. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't go to the pubs, no, I'm going to bring the
1: pubs to me. All this online beer purchase <laughs> and post-scratchings.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, good. I, I, I urge anybody to try post-scratchings. If they're on the ketogenic diet <laughs> or enjoy salt. It's
1: like it's like, like here's a snack yes, enjoy. here's a snack food, kids. I'm gonna make it educational for you. There's value to this product, there's value to this.
0: But anyway, I'll save the vegetable and green proteins for another episode. I wish you would. <laughs> right, okay. Well thanks for that, Neil. Uh, uh, we will <laughs>
2: Anything else you got to say on the subject? No,
0: I'm I'm, I'm quite happy. I just want I just wanted people's take on it because I have introduced myself to it and I was just blown away by the nutrition of them uh, <laughs> <laughs> compared to what the stereotype. That is such a loose term. Is. That is such a loose term.
2: It's like you just discovered tin tuna. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Moving swiftly on to uh, one of our one of our highlights, we need to do a catch up on our letters. Uh, I am going to post mine as soon as I can find an address, maybe try and find it through Company's house. Uh, that'll be my next port call. Um, but we believe we've got some news on Dean Newcomb from Gregor. I certainly do.
2: Yep, uh, Dean got back to me just for Christmas. Um, really nice of him. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but he just uh, he just just said thanks very much for the letter. Um, he also noted that, because yeah, obviously in the letter that said that I'd caught him a lot on journeys in Japan, but he says he's doing a lot of work on a new show, Catch Japan, so I've added that to, to record it in the planner. And I did I, I did see a couple of articles about it, but I, I don't think I could find it um, when it was coming out, but it now seems to be on NHK World, I don't know if it's a weekly thing or it's just on and off, but um, I've got that, so hopefully catch up with some of the work there. Uh, but yeah good to hear from him um, I haven't replied to him yet because I don't want to bother the guy um,
1: it took so long to bother him in the first place it'd be excited <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I may reply to him once, once I watch a few of his, his Cash pattern, um shows but yeah um, good to hear from him I'm glad he, got, glad he did get uh, at least confirmation he did actually get the letter as well which is always good um do you want me to talk about who I'm going to send letter to next? Yes, please. If you want. Oh, right. So I've, I, this is almost finished, actually. Um on, Neil. But I'll just I'll put, put in a teaser out before mine. Put in a teaser. address <laughs> <laughs> and everything. Yeah, well, that th- this is this is the problem. Let's discuss this just now. The addresses is. Oh, um, uh, maybe a problem because I find a letter for um. That, well, my next person is John Robertson. He's an Australian comedian. Uh, that's that's all I'm giving you just now. You can look up if you want, but more information next time. Getting addresses for people because the people of Target are, I mean, they're, they're obviously famous, so they're famous enough that they're ex-directory, so you can't just look them up in, online. Uh, but they're not famous enough necessarily that they'll have a an agent or any sort of correspondence address. Uh, I mean, a lot of them have contact us sections on their on their websites. Uh, but might not necessarily have a postal address that you can send letters to, which I've found for some of the other people I had in mind. Um, so we could be, could be chatting to them on Cameo. Uh, <laughs> if need be. Uh, but the, the next person I've got is definitely has a postal address, um, which is good. Uh, but yeah, absolutely over the moon to get back from Dean. Um, like I say, he's, uh, I find him really inspiring Um and uh, just, just glad he's, uh, uh, he's got the letter.
0: Good
2: stuff. now? Before we move on, question of the week. Do we want to continue this? I'm meant to bring up potential. Yeah, can do. Right, we've got two options. Then, we'll Look these out. Um, both of you got fools. You'd be glad to hear. Uh, British tea drinking habits, or uh, in the in the theme of Christmas, best Christmas
1: Christmas, film. Christmas
2: okay. film. And of course, we're going to discuss the. Is it a Christmas film? Oh, is it not a Christmas film? With that one in particular. Hard. I was thinking Gremlins. No, of course. Yeah, Die Hard. Here we go. Six days ago. Christmas Eve, this is posted. I'll hit you, with the, uh, hit you straight up with the, with the headline. The public has spoken. This is a headline article. got public has spoken. Elf is the best Christmas film. I saw that. I saw the article. Big news. Yeah, one in seven Britons who had a favourite Christmas film say Elf is the number one. Well, controversially Die Hard what position? Four. Do you think? There's ten positions Six. here. Six. Three. Third. Whoa.
0: Love Actually number two.
2: No. No. Love Actually is four. Oh.
0: Number
2: two. Dan, any takers on two?
0: Number two. Christmas films. Frozen! No.
2: Frozen's not it on the list. Is, I mean, it's not a Christmas film for a start. It's, um... Love it the other day. Not
0: Christmas Carol. It's not a Christmas Carol, I don't think.
2: You'll kick yourself.
0: It's, uh... What's that one from the 60s? I just watched Whoa. it the other day. Scrooged. It's a Wonderful
2: Life. Uh, that wasn't the 60s and no it wasn't It's a Wonderful Life. That was... I mean it says fourth but it's after third equal. Sorry, Love Actually is third equal with Die Hard. It's a Wonderful Life. is it says fourth but it's actually fifth. Sixth.
0: White Christmas is up there. White Christmas is there, <coughs>
2: yep. Home Alone is number two. Oh.
1: Which one? Home Alone 1 or Home Alone 2?
2: The first one. No. Nineteen forty-six was It's a wonderful life. Yeah. The Grinch, Muppet, Muppet Christmas Carol, White Christmas, Scrooge. Don't know. That it, one. Polar Express. Is that the one
1: with what's Disney his one, name? Isn't Sim. It? Scrooge,
2: the Disney one. No, the nine. Yeah, uh, presume it's a take on Christmas Carol. Maybe
1: the nineteen
2: sixties seventy one. Seventy one. What's it? Sim. It's a musical adaptation. It says Albert Finney, Alec Guinness. That'll hmm. the one. Writers Charles Dickens. <coughs> 12% of the vote, Home Alone, 15% of the vote for Elf, 8% each for Die Hard and Love Actually. Now, it's notable that Die Hard got 8% of the vote when you consider the fact. Considering that
0: it's not
2: Christmas film. It's a damn Christmas film. Well, considering some people say it's, 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 it's. Some people say it's not a Christmas, it's a Christmas film, but in actual fact, only 3 in 10 Brits believe Die Hard is a Christmas film.
0: That's 30%. Okay. I think a lot of people say. Thirty percent. I think a, prob- a lot of people would have put that as their favorite Christmas film because it's kind of like a a running joke that it's not a Christmas film. Yeah,
2: and well, when you consider only thirty percent of people consider it a Christmas film, eight percent of the total population have said it's their favorite. So out of a pool of only thirty percent, eight percent have chosen it as their favorite Christmas film. That's so awesome. if you believe it's a Christmas film, uh, I mean, there's obviously a lot overlap there because. It would need to be in that pool, the people who believe that yeah. that would need to be overlapped. But even even still, of those the people, of the people that do believe it's a Christmas film, I mean, eight over thirty, over that is
0: 4 over fifteen.
2: Yeah, about quarter yeah. quarter people that believe in Christmas film is their favourite. So yeah, uh, full results here as always. Let's drill into these numbers yes. as they per- as they pertain to the. Uh, various segments of the population. What do you want? What do you want to know about first? Age. Age. Okay. This is, this is very interesting. So, not applicable is not a choice. And for sixty for sixty five plus, fifty six percent of people said they did not have a favorite Whoa. Christmas film. Only twenty nine percent of eighteen to twenty four year olds said they didn't have a favorite Christmas film. And only twenty two percent of twenty five to forty nine year olds, so six five pluses. over half of them don't have a favorite Christmas film. Now, in youngsters, so eighteen to twenty four, big swing towards the Grinch. That must be that must be because it came out um, the Jim Carrey one. Jim Carrey version came out. Yeah, fourteen percent, as opposed to well, only four percent in the age group above them, and only two and one percent in the older age groups. Similarly, Elf, so twelve percent. Of 18 to thirty-four year olds. And 14% of uh, 25 to 49 year olds. If you're going for the older age groups. It's pretty pretty split. There's nothing really jumping out. Love Actually is popular. It's a Wonderful Life. 8% and 7% for the older age groups. Only 1 and 2 for the first. They
1: were alive two. when it came out.
2: <laughs> Die Hard's an interesting one. Right. 1% of 18 to 24-year-olds. So this must this must have been peak debate when we were like in our age. Because yeah. 25 to 49-year-olds 8% is their favourite. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Divisive stuff.
2: Yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, any other you'd like? So we've got vote in uh, 2019 yes, general election. I want to know! EU <laughs> that's referendum. my favourite one! Social grade. <laughs> we've got region as well. So the by political party. Yes. It's worth saying that this was taken over 10th, the 10th and 11th of December 2020 and it was over sample size of 1,703 adults. Who do you think was more likely out of Conservative and Labour to ha- have a favourite Christmas film? I've given you the ages. I've given Labour. you the age. Mm. Yeah, that that coincides with age. Um, because 29% of Labour did not have a favourite Christmas film where thirty eight percent of conservatives did not, conservative did not have a favorite Christmas film. Elf. Who do you think that went to?
1: Lib dem Green Party.
2: No, between, uh, between, conservative and Labour. Oh, Labour, Labour. Yep, eleven to eight uh, percent. Diehard.
1: Tories, Labour.
2: Labour seven to five. What do you plop it? Oh no! What about Leave and Remain?
0: What was that? Labour love th- Loves labour, labour love rebellion. What
2: between Leave and Remain, Diehard? Yeah, uh, no. Uh, leave and remain. Oh, well, that just caused. Remain six to four. Muppet Christmas Car- Carol, big winner for the Lib Dems seven percent, whereas only three and four percent for the Conservative and Labour. Oh, I, I Oh
1: no, I love Muppet Christmas Carol. I need to. I need to get the card changed.
2: <laughs> love actually popular across the board, uh, but more popular with Remain. That'd be green. That's interesting.
1: That's because they're they're old romantics.
2: Here's a big split. The Grinch.
1: Between what? Leave and Uh, Remain? No,
2: between uh, Conservative and Labour.
1: Grinch must be
2: Conservative. 1% Conservative. 6% Labour. That would be because of the younger skew as well. Uh, This is by region now. Elf 13% in Scotland. 9% for most of England, except in the north, where it was 11%. The Scots are the most likely, of any region in the UK, surveyed to have, or, and, and this based on the sample size to have a favourite Christmas film 31% Wow, well, 31% do not have a favourite Christmas film compared to 32, 33, 36 and 38% across the various other regions of England Home Alone Big in London Which one? First, First one. one? Big in London <laughs> <laughs> Yeah interesting reading in there A Christmas Carol 0% in Scotland Which one? Uh presumably presum- someone just uh, I don't know actually.
0: the original.
2: Yeah, I think those are the most interesting divergences. Very
0: good. Well, thanks again. Always
2: interesting. Right, that's all I've got to say on the Christmas one. But there you go, listeners. Um check out for yourselves on you gov have just picked out the most interesting. We place. are thing
0: as always. We are, as always, a divided nation. Dan's gonna hit us with the top ten this week. Uh, for Fictional literature characters. So Dan, take it away with your. I'm sure it will be interesting. Top ten. I can't see Harry Potter being in there. As as the listeners know, I do
1: persevere to bring a bit of culture to this platform. It's it's hard it's hard to compete with poke scratches, but I'll do my best. Um, so, yes, folks, I would like to give my top ten of fictional literary characters. So, these are, are figures and characters who have appeared in works of fiction, written works of fiction. So, I've avoided television, films, all that type of stuff. I'm sure that can be for another day. And it, I've based it all on uh, books that I've read. So I thought I'd narrow myself down a little bit because you could always there's a bit more scope for for possibility. So I thought I'd narrow it down to what I've read. So dive straight in there. Number ten because I got told that by people that I have to have a Harry Potter character in this. Because how can you not have a top ten of literary characters without a Harry Potter character? I've gone for Sirius Black for those of you that don't know and maybe be living under a stone, Sirius Black was Harry Potter's Godfather. Great character in the stories. The Harry Potter series, which ran from 1997 to 2007, written by the well-respected and often outspoken author J.K. Rowling. And when it, when, they, when I got told that if you're going to do a top ten, you need to put a Harry Potter character into it, was the first one that jumped to mind i really like him he's a very misunderstood character he's a character that sort of struggles through the events of the books up until when he leaves i'm not going to say how he leaves in case people haven't read it and he's just a really interesting character he's sort of he's, he sort of starts off almost as an semi antihero and he just sort of builds and builds and builds until as I say he leaves the story the story series. So yep, yeah, Sirius Black comes at number ten. Number nine, I've gone a little bit further back in time to the days of Merry Old England and Elizabethan England and I have gone for Hamlet from the play of the same name, written by William Shakespeare sometime between fifteen ninety nine and six hundred one. Hamlet is a misunderstood young man who is struggling through the the murder of his father and the hatred towards his uncle and the anger towards the fact that his uncle married his mother. And it, it all culminates as Shakespeare often does in such tragedies with everybody dying. But he's just sort of, he's a, he has some of the most fantastic pieces of dialogue written for, for any of Shakespeare's characters. And His desperation, his needs, and his drive to sort of avenge his father leads, as often does with Shakespeare's work, to tragedy and catastrophe. So Hamlet sneaks in there at number nine. Number eight, I've got Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird, 1960, written by Harper Lee, great American author, great piece of American literature in my opinion, one of the best because it covers such difficult subjects such as adolescence innocence racism, which to this day still remains a problem in America and Atticus Finch is a lawyer who is tasked with defending an African American man who has been accused of raping a white girl and the whole story is told from the perspective of his children but he is such a fantastic character that represents the goodness which does exist in people. And in the context of the story being at a time when time you know, events were quite difficult for African Americans in America. He represents a break from the status quo, perhaps the norm with a white man, a white lawyer prepared to defend the rights of an African American. So I think he's quite he's a character that can be well respected and a kind of character that's you know, maybe we need in this day and age. Number seven, I have Captain Ahab, totally different from the previous entry. Captain Ahab of Moby Dick fame, 1851, the product of the mind of Herman Melville. And Captain Ahab is the captain of a ship. And he, the whole, his his purpose, his single-minded desire is to find the white whale, Moby Dick. And similar to Hamlet, he has some of the most fantastic dialogue written for him. Uh, he's driven by, a lot like Hamlet, by revenge, by a desire to avenge the events of, of previously in his life. Um, and he's determined to, to get this whale. And spoilers, folks, the whale gets him in the end. So it's it's all downhill for him, but I think he's just a he's such a, he's such a powerful character. I like a powerful character, and I find Captain Ahab definitely represents that. Number six, I have Don Colleoni from The Godfather, nineteen sixty nine, written by Mario Puzo, and Mario Puzo wrote this book a few years, not many years. I think it was three or four years before they made the film, and it's just like the film. It's a story about this Italian mafia family and ever I first saw I first saw the film and then I read the book and I loved uh, Don Colione even more after I read the book as well he's he's a, he's a family man he's a businessman he's somebody who understands that you need to wear different masks depending on where you are and depending on what you're doing and he he's a brilliant balance between all of the the challenges and upheaval that are taking place within the, within the story, and unfortunately, which eventually leads to him him dying. So it's it, it's a fa- I think it's a fantastically well developed character, um, you know, it, and he's well very well represented by Marlon Brando in the film. Number five, we're going to a bit more classical now, and Frankenstein's monster in Frankenstein. It's always important to remind people that. Dr. Frankenstein was the scientist. Frankenstein's monster was the creature that he created. And he is the product of Mary Shelley in 1823, in that fantastic piece of, piece of writing known as Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus by its other title. And he is a character which starts off in the most primal and basic and almost human of fashion, totally unrelatable almost animalistic bestial in his attitudes and his behaviors and he develops and he grows and he reads and he learns and he realizes the the ultimate folly of humanity and the fact that we all want to be loved and we all want to be acknowledged and respected and cared for and it's something that he he just he doesn't achieve for many different reasons but it's also almost uh, slightly Freudian because he always ends up going back with his father, with uh, Dr. Frankenstein, uh, in the end of the story. Uh, So it's sort of like a a cycle for him, but he's just such a misunderstood character, and people remember him from the the classic 1930s film, which isn't what the character really was like in the story. It was a far more developed character and underappreciated. So that was number five. Number four, if I can find it. Number four is Dorian Gray from The Picture of Dorian Gray, 1890, written by the great Irish author Oscar Wilde, possibly one of the, at the time he was a British author, uh, one of the one of the finest British authors of his age, very creative, very imaginative, and it's a story of a young man, well, a man who appears young, who has a picture which takes all of the age and all of the damage he does to his body and to his mind and to his soul and he stays perpetually young and he can get away with anything basically and he's just such a fascinating character because his he's so complex in the fact that he's so hedonistic and he can just do what he wants and get away with everything and he could drink as much, eat as much obviously in the context of the time Opium dens were a thing, and you know his his body could take as much beating as it needed, but this picture would take the responsibility, and it was all it's all about limit and knowing that you know we don't have this capacity we we're not we are limited by our own humanity, and that is it's something that he comes to realize that at the end of the day it doesn't matter what you do or who you are life, you know, we all long for life to come to some type of conclusion and to experience life he's not experiencing it because he's not having any impact on it, so yeah number four flies in for Dorian for me so now I'm at my top three, so I'm going to throw it out, we'll do threes twos and ones so I think I'll go for Gregor first, give us your number three you Sure. no, no, not I'm not, not it anyway
2: I don't, I, I don't want to make it too esoteric either, because you find in a lot of books that it's not necessarily the main character that's the most interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, More so modern books. Uh, my number three, Dan, is Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games series of books. Uh, so The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, Mockingjay. This falls into what I was talking about. She's a really well-written character, but I'd say there's even better characters re- in the, in the books. Uh, Johanna Mason and Finnick O'Dear, of particular note, um, introduced in uh, Catching Fire. But yeah, uh, really strong female character which you don't see too much of in sort of historic literature um, for obvious reasons. And what, what I really like about the character, what what I look for, um, and my number one epitomises this, is um, a sort of. I suppose there's two things. Um, a sort of flaw, um, like Shakespeare's tragedies, uh, a flawed character, yeah. um, and, and um, sort of clear, defined flaws as well. Yeah. That they. Yeah. That they maybe try to overcome. They might not try to overcome them. Um. But but they're not perfect. Um. And they appreciate yes. they're not perfect. It could be that's something inherent in them or it could be something due to something that's happened to them and in Canna's case it's the it circumstances she was raised in and also um, her experiences throughout the first book um, have a sort of a detrimental effect her throughout the rest of the series and she has to fight that constantly through the rest of the books yeah. so I think that's and also um, the second thing that I really look for is some sort of um, code so that they the character, uh, not as de- defined by, but lives within. So they have their own set of principles, and it, it, it could be uh, well intentioned or otherwise. Uh, but they've, they've set themselves. I don't think anyone is completely chaotic in terms of what they do. Everybody's aligned to what they think is right, whether what they think is right is right or not. Um, it's well, who who is to say what's right or not? but they, yeah. they set their own parameters for themselves and they live within those parameters and they don't just do anything because it, it fits the story um, they do things because it's what they would do so those are the two things and I think Katniss uh, is really well written in both of those regards perfect,
1: that was lovely yeah. that was really well said
2: <laughs> got there and then.
1: I mean yeah, it was, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a marathon it was a bit like a tough modder but we got there right yeah
0: Like <laughs> <laughs> right, Neil your number three? I'll make it plain and simple. His name is Rubius Hagrid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I don't think
1: Jillian said that one for you. I think she named everybody else.
2: And now for something <laughs> completely different.
0: The lovable groundskeeper and friend to Harry throughout the book. <laughs> he's keeper of the keys. Uh, yeah, I just like he's a lovable character. He's nice. Uh, he's just got he a friendly character. Yeah. He's got Deep. keys. What's not to love? He's got a big beard. Features in every film. One of the main characters. I think. I, I don't think there's anybody that can say they don't like him that watches the film. I
2: actually thought about Hagrid. I don't know why because this doesn't really uh, fit the description I just uh, reeled off. But it's just cold. Yeah. Um, have you said your? You said your Harry Potter one then? Yeah, who was it? Uh, Snape. Black. Snape. Great. Oh, Sirius Black. Snape's a great one. That that would be my one for Harry Potter. I was I was I was thinking there must be one for Harry Potter. It would be Snape. Who I also thought of was Neville, um, but he's not he's yeah. not as deep as Snape, obviously. And Luna again, yeah. which doesn't get as much yeah. writing time. Um, I, I find them probably the most um, uh, flawed, but like uh, complex. Certainly, the minor characters.
1: So I looked them up and I thought, right, let's actually see what the top thirty is. Like people who say who are the best characters, mm-hmm. and I'd I'd already picked Sirius Black and Snape was number one. Yeah. So I was kind of glad I didn't pick Snape because I would have thought I'm just fitting in with the standard, <laughs> fitting in with everybody else. I think I think Neville Neville was, was Neville third or fourth.
2: Right. I
1: thought Hermione would have been number one. No, yeah. it was it was Snape. Then it was Ron. Then it was Harry. Then it might be Hermione, and then Neville, or something like that. So, okay, so. Dan, hit us off with number two, or number three. I'll give you my number three as well if you want. <laughs> oh, I'll give us uh, number three. <laughs> right, my number three is God's so far away from Hagrid, you wouldn't believe. <laughs> is uh, the titular character Dracula from the 1897 Bram Stoker's seminal work, possibly one of the finest pieces of Gothic fiction ever produced. Uh I I I'm probably one of the only people that sees him like this, but I genuinely see him as an unfortunate character who is forlorn and desperately looking for love. And for the fact that I can read between enough of the lines to actually find that it's quite it's quite a thing. Um I think he's he's a great character where his He's one of the the most adapted characters as well. For for I saw yesterday, so like like two hundred different interpretations of the character on screen and on stage and in film and everything like that. So it's extraordinary. But he's just I, I just I find him so fascinating and so there's a depth to him which is open to interpretation because like so many of 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 the gothic texts at the time. It relies upon the imagination. So, if you can't, if you don't have an imagination, it can be quite hard to read gothic fiction because it's all about what goes bump in the night. They don't state it obvious to you, but it's it's the insinuation and what they imply by in the writing. And I think that Stoker got that with Dracula because I see it as a love story. It's this character who's looking for love and. The nature of his affliction and his condition, and the fact that all these awful things that he can do and that happen around him are all an extension of this of this love. Like people will, you know, quite often that um, literary critics will say, "Well, it's all it's all about you know what you know. It's all this kissing and sucking and biting and nibbling and all this stuff is all an extension of this repression that existed in." sort of know, turn of the, end of the 19th, start of the 20th century. Um, but I, I don't see it just like that. There's definitely more depth to it. And and he's just a great character. He's so adaptable. He's so flexible for what they've used, you know, after after Stoker produced him. So, yeah, he comes in at my number three. Uh, so now we'll hit number two. <laughs> Gregor, number two.
2: Yep, they've set two their gra- thousand
1: or less words
2: Let's <laughs> set the groundwork um, so I've not read this book uh, but I have seen the musical and it is uh, Inspector Javert from Les Miserables
1: I was going to put him in
2: so he, Jean Valjean's also great they're, they're two uh, phenomenal uh, lead characters, they're in the musical I presume they're based on even more complex characters than the actual novel um, but yeah Javert, um, I think tying back to what I said in my prelude to Katniss. Um Javert's flaw comes from his code basically, in that he can't see past the law and that's what, um, I don't want to spoil it for you but that's what <laughs> leads to his final exit from the from the novel and from the from the musical and I, I just think it's its a very pure character in terms of like he's very deep but he's very because he's got a code there he's very um, not one dimensional but always you know about but at the same time you see that in our turmoil it is done really well in the, in the musical when and is' like in his, his, uh, his, well, in, the, in the stars originally and then his final song I forget the name uh, but yeah really really well written um as he goes through that sort of journey from sort of indiscriminate lawkeeper to questioning his beliefs when confronted by uh, Jean Valjean for the final time Yep, number two, Inspector Chaver.
1: Excellent. Neil, number two,
0: Dobby. Driving across the other end of the fictional character world to Ebenezer Scrooge. A cold-hearted miser who despises Christmas where he seeks redemption via, well he doesn't seek it, he gets redemption via four ghosts. Uh, A heartwarming tale at Christmas, (laughs) a family favourite. Uh, for many people. I've not watched it this year I did watch Scrooge actually uh, but I do want to watch a Christmas Carol I've not seen it in years. Tenuous at best <laughs> I, do, I do enjoy the Disney one as well of Scrooge McDuck yeah, another play simple <laughs> back to you Dan for number two <laughs> thanks for that rundown of everything apart from the book
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <what> It's <laughs> 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 like Bill, when Bill Murray I played him him it as well?
0: A cold-hearted
1: miser who despises Christmas and... As you uh, read off Wikipedia description by the look
0: of it. I feel sorry for
1: Greg, he's putting so much work in here. (laughs) He's really really battling it. Uh, So, thank you, Neil. So, my my number two is... It's the only poem I have on my list. And it's, uh, for lack of a better description, The Man, from the Edgar Allan Poe piece of the long poem The Raven written in eighteen forty five. He doesn't have a name. He's he's just a a chap uh missing missing his his girlfriend, wife, that. lover. It's not described in the story at all. Uh, and it's his it's his descent into madness as he's harassed and harangued and driven mad with depression by a talking raven that sits above his chamber door. And I have, when it comes to pieces of literature, full stop, it is, it's in my top two. Um, it's guaranteed in top two as a whole piece is in my top two. I love it. It's one of my favorites, honestly. I wrote my higher, my higher English um, critical essay on it. Um, and I've loved it ever since I've loved all its interpretations and loved all his adaptations. You know, whether it be MC Lars or whether it be The Simpsons, they've all come at it from very different perspectives, but this one this man is so relatable and it's written in a way which is so it just Poe has a way of cutting through the wheat and the chaff. He cuts through everything and you know he gets he gets to the real the real importance of what he's trying to say. And I think he does that here, and the man is just somebody who could be anyone and anyone's experience you know whether it be a literal raven whether it be a metaphorical raven however people want to interpret it it just cuts just cuts you right to the heart of it for anyone who's ever experienced loss or anyone who's ever felt lost um, I think he's he's definitely he's definitely a man which many people can relate to yeah so the Man from the Raven is my number two, and now we're at the number one. Do 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 number ones, folks. Gregor, hit me with it.
2: My number one. Um, I've only this is a series of books. I've only read one. Any guesses?
0: Um,
2: a series of short books.
0: I think I know the answer to this.
2: You know, has to guess.
0: Shakespeare's histories.
2: The, is
0: it the Wonderful
2: Seven or something? Famous the, Five. The famous George Five. George for the Famous Five. No, it is Sherlock Holmes. Of course. I've only read a study in Scarlet. I've been told it's not indicative of the entire the rest of the short stories. Uh, however, I've seen enough uh, popular culture references to, and I mean, <laughs> sort of film adaptions, television adaptations of Sherlock Holmes to know what he's all about. And the sort of influence he's had, and this is if Javert was my the epitome of a uh, sort of code requirement, Sherlock Holmes is the epitome of the sort of vice or flaw uh, because of his a uh, on and off again relationship with with drugs, and you see that so much in other. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's touched on too much in the books, but it certainly has been in, t- in terms of adaptions since, and you see that in the influence yeah. he's had in uh, various things that are based on Sherlock Holmes. And maybe not based on Sherlock Holmes, but even real-life examples, you see a lot of parallels in terms of uh, uh, little figures that I've, I've admired, um, like real people. Uh, but, I mean, House is a perfect example. House MD, the popular American yeah, television yeah. show, Sharon Stern. Hugh Laurie... Um, even even in the, I've been watching the Queen's Gambit on Netflix. You see shades of Sherlock Holmes in that. I mean, I'm not I'm not crediting Sherlock Holmes with sort of the um, coupling of addiction and brilliance, but I almost what to say say popularized it <laughs> because you see you see that in the Queen's Gambit as well. You see shades of Sherlock Holmes and and that uh, between the sort of genius and madness. So yeah, my number one, uh, j- just because of the influences had on various. Uh, Various other literature and uh, yeah. characters throughout, uh, th- throughout the last hundred years or so.
1: He's very what I, he's. He, he's he, I think he he represents. He's a fictional work that represents something I believe to be quite true, which is there are many people in the world who are brilliant, whether they be actors, athletes, you know, authors, philanthropists, presidents, prime ministers, anyone like that. And you can get fantastic. But then it's all about being able to divide them from their professional, from their personal. And they're all guilty of things. You know, it's, it's like, almost like the Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was a great president. But at the same time, he got caught up in something that got quite messy. Um, and, you know, there's people such as... Uh, people would even say about Johnny Depp at the minute. Johnny Depp, you've got a choice. You either go, he's a brilliant actor... And you accept the fact, you know, the acting is separate from any issues he's had with the acting. I think it's the same with Sherlock Holmes. He's a you know he's a brilliant character, he's a fantastic character, and the way he deduces and solves the mysteries and the crimes is wonderful. But then you could get caught up in the fact that he's got the opiate addiction. But you've got to know that there's a difference.
2: Yeah. I mean yeah, I mean history's riddled with these people that are yeah. the world best in their craft and also suffer from uh, tragic well, flaws or addictions or whatever it may be. Character flaws. Yeah. Or circumstances thrust upon them. Yeah.
1: Right, Neil. Your <laughs> number
0: your number one. Uh, They'll split down the middle for number one here. I had to add a Disney book in here. Disney, a Disney film adaptation <laughs> of a book. So I can't choose. So i going to choose the two favorite Disney films. Uh, one will be Baloo the Bear from the 1894 The Jungle Book. I've not read it, Roger Kipling. It. It's not. I, it's it's even, not I at all should, like the Disney I think film. You should definitely
1: <laughs> read it and deal with the colonialism and abject abj- abj- racism that is riddled in the story. Yeah.
2: If you expect, if you expected anything like the Disney film, just I wouldn't bother.
0: I'd, I'd bail out. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'll see if there's an audiobook. I tried. Oh, yeah. I think I'll I tried to person. read
2: this in primary two. It was a fun poetry. <laughs> Where we <to laughs> the owl who was afraid of the dark in school, and I was thinking, I'll just, I've I, I got it. I don't know why I had it. Um, it must be one of these children's book series. And I started to read it, and it, I, got, I kept getting told, "You understand it." Um, and I think I did understand most of what I was reading. Um. Up until I lost interest after I think Bagheera was the, the, one of the Akilah's, uh courts and he stormed off or something. I was like, this, is, this isn't at all. Where's the pair of <laughs> Don't ruin
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: going to keep my happy <laughs> memories of the. Uh, and then I will go with Alice in Wonderland as well. It's probably on par with Baloo And you've not read that either, have you? I've
1: not, no. I've seen the video. Read, I'd read Alice before I read Jungle Bird. I've <laughs> got it right I here. I'd read, I'd read Alice before I read Jungle Bird. Oh, look at this,
2: folks. I think. I def- I've definitely got the book. Right oh. ah, here, it's here. Uh, Alice. Alice in Wonderland, And through the Looking Excerpt. Glass. Oh. Lewis Carroll. Oh, beautiful Our cover as well. Charles, oh, Charles nice, Dodson, which is better known. That's a nice binding. To have a good,
1: good, nice bind So,
0: yeah, I uh, that's me. Thanks, Neil. Um, right. Do so you not want to weigh in on the? Do you think? Do you think that
1: Alice in Wonderland is um, good choice? I'd read I'd read Alice before I read Jungle Book.
2: I really like Alice in Wonderland, the book and the story generally. Um, it's really fun. However, I would not put Alice. Um, is her name Little? Uh, she was not I think that was a real life name. Yeah, it's little. Is She's it? a little. Yeah. 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 Um, I would not put her as one of. I mean, she was based on a real person, but I would not put her as one of literally's greatest <laughs> characters. Literary fiction's greatest characters, <laughs> as much as I enjoy the books. Um, I don't think she meets my yeah. criteria. No,
1: that's fair enough.
2: I suppose her curiosity is our, curi- our, our flaw. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, but no.
0: <laughs> yeah, mine's we're always going to be filmed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. Okay. Thanks very much. Uh, good rundown. Quite a diverse range of fictional characters there.
1: Can I do? Can I do my number one? No, I think we're fair enough. Or
0: are we just going to skip my number one, <laughs> and we're just go
1: gonna... <laughs> Neil's busy. Neil's busy on audiobooks trying to find copies. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. Well, a couple of honourable mentions. Greg has is, Greg is hit on hit on some of them. Javert would would have been on my list. If I've been a bit longer, for the same reasons that he said. Uh, there's there, there's so many literary characters which I think are worthy of, of being on a list. You know, as Gregor said earlier on, it's not just about the, the leads, it's also about the ones that, you know, take a take a smaller role in the story but have just as just an important impact. But my number one I am going for the the, the main character, as far as I'm concerned, from the 1667. John Milton' book of Paradise Lost, which I had the the pleasure of reading when I was at university writing my dissertation. And I'll probably get back to my dissertation at a later topic, but uh, it's 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 a fantastic, fantastic piece of writing. And the character that I've chosen is Lucifer, the fallen angel himself, who by who has, by that point was such a Terrible, evil, awful figure that John Milton came along at a time of unrest and unpredictability uh, in in what was wasn't even the UK yet. We hadn't we hadn't unified the countries yet, but he just after, after the Civil War and after Cromwell, and he created the what I considered the ultimate antihero, uh, a figure who who had from the very beginning. When you first meet him, he's in hell. He's been cast down for rebelling against God, as many people know the know a similar narrative. And it tells a story about him building his kingdom in hell and eventually getting Adam and Eve to um, eat the apple in the Garden of Eden, getting thrown out of the garden. But he is just such a powerful, charismatic, anti-hero and even though you know, you know, most people know exactly who you're talking about when you say the name, you, you can't help but sympathise with him. And I mean, I think I think uh, one of his one of the most famous lines he says in the book is, "It is better to to rule in hell than to serve in heaven." And he's always picking up on these. You know, he, he's picking up on the imperfection of perfection, and he's always challenging this authority, which is exactly the time that, that, that Milton was alive and is in a time when authority had been challenged to the ultimate level where the king had been killed, where Charles I had been executed. So for him he'd seen this and it's so almost like a narrative of the events of the time. There was there was opportunity for anti heroes to come about. There was opportunity for to rebel and to suffer as a consequence, but still be relevant and to still be Sympathised with and to be related to, and Lucifer. I mean, he's just he's just a, such a complicated character through the entire history of the context, and for the for our humble listeners, my degree is in religious studies, so someone like this is is you know I know him quite well, so to speak. Um, but I mean, of all the interpretations, I think it's I think it's Paradise Lost that gets him most attention uh, there's plenty of other versions which I can go into but I just think I'm putting, I'm putting Lucifer as my number one I put him at the top of my list
0: thank you very much Dan wide variety of fictional characters that. <laughs> right so finish off with one of our highlights at Crypto Corner our usual special trip Dan I'll let you take it away Dan
1: thank you Neil um so uh, they, a really short one this time around because I was I was watching well it wasn't I was listening to something the other today I was into a podcast that inspired me and I want to talk a little bit about giants right off the right. right out there. As most people will know, they will have heard of probably the most famous giant of all, Andre the Giant, standing at seven foot four, absolute beast of a man with a fantastic documentary and. Yeah. I was, like I said, I was listening to something, and they were talking about giants, and it inspired me to do this one because of it's. I think it's, I think it's an interesting one, uh, but it'll be a short one, thankfully. So, bit of context: if we say start off with the UK, uh, probably one of the most famous stories that we're told as young children is Jack and the Jack the Giant Killer, or Jack and the Beanstalk, depending on what you want to call it. Uh, Jack and the Giant Killer is believed to be very old, hundreds of years old and it was a original oral tradition and this oral tradition in the 16th century, um, there was a, an author by the name of Raphael Hollinshed who wrote chronicles of England, Scotland and Ireland and in that he wrote a story about a prehistoric king called Albion who ruled over the United Kingdom and he ruled a race of giants for hundreds if not thousands of years uh, in the B.C. Era, And so the UK has had a very long history of giants and giant stories, um, as is most of the world. A lot of people will be familiar with the biblical giants mentioned in the Old Testament, in particularly the race known as the Nephilim, who were half angel, half human, and there were a race of giants who existed. And also there are the Sumerian Anunnaki, uh, who were also giant in size. Uh, giants were mentioned by Marco Polo, a very famous explorer who said that there was a race of giants that lived on Zanzibar off the east coast of Africa. Also, though, in more recent times, uh, there was a find in Russia in a cave in Siberia, uh, Denisov cave, and in that cave, they found skeletons. and These skeletons are believed to belong to a race of human ancestors, called Denisovians. And they lived between 50 and 300,000 years ago. And the best description that is given is that they were very, very tall. Now, the Denisovians have probably the most influence on stories about modern giants and the stories about the history of giant gigantism or giantism in uh, human history because the Americans... I should expect, uh, jumped on this, and there is an entire conspiracy surrounding the existence of giants in North America. So, skeletons have, in the 19th century and before then, there were skeletons discovered all across the United States in Massachusetts, what is now Massachusetts, Vermont, New York State, the Ohio River Valley, and Arkansas. And these skeletons were large, much larger than any any humans who had discovered them, or any humans that um, the the researchers and the explorers had ever met. Um, and this led to a belief at the time that there had been a race of extremely tall human ancestors. So the same, similar species to ourselves, obviously not exactly the same. Um, so much so that in a speech made by Abraham Lincoln when he visited Niagara Falls once, he said, the eyes of that species of extinct giants whose bones filled the, who filled the mounds of America have gazed on Niagara as ours do now. So there seemed to be this acceptance that giants had existed. This could have been related to you know, a very strong religious feeling among people at the time. Um, because there's a lot, there's a lot less scepticism, a lot less not anti-religious, but people were more religious at the time, and obviously in the context of biblical stories, people would have been aware of a lot of stories about giants, such as Goliath. Uh, but Abraham Lincoln himself had said had made these comments. Uh, but by the mid to late nineteenth century, there appeared to have been a sort of crackdown on the information about American giants. Now, information gathered by Giant hunters, giant researchers, giant explorers—whatever you want to call them—seems uh, to be that the Smithsonian had a large part to play in all this. Now, the S- Smithsonian supposedly has reports on 17 cases of individuals who be classed as giant. Now, the definition of giant is anybody taller than seven feet. So, to have somebody who is more than seven feet. And having 17 cases of it is quite unusual. Now, in the context of 17 cases, that works out at there being a 0.00007% chance of finding somebody with that size, which is the same as one in 2.5 million bodies excavated. Right. Um, so they found 17 of them. Which is an extraordinary figure.
0: Chances um, are you will come across a giant in your life at some point. No,
1: not not the ske- because they discovered these old skeletons. So at the time there shouldn't have been the numbers. Okay. So it's like it, you know it's it's like bumping into somebody when somewhere sparsely populated. What are the chances of bumping into them? What are the chances of bumping into somebody who's over seven feet tall? Well, it's one in two point five million.
0: Well, we've got uh, a giant's a giant local to us, or local to uh, local to Scotland. Yep, the Fermland Giant.
2: Dan, you must have heard of him.
0: Uh, there was, there was a, there was a,
1: there was a giant on the Western Isles as well.
2: Was he real, though?
1: Yeah, got his chair and everything.
2: No, uh, well, well, we've got his slippers. We've got the, the Fermland Giant slippers. Thieving sods. Seven foot six inches taller. Like Tall Alexander Dick Miller died in eighteen seventy-two at just twenty-nine years old.
1: Can I can I finish
2: this? I thought you finished.
1: No, I was, a, I was I was gonna I was gonna finish off by saying that further to the conspiracy we regarding the existence of ancient giants which have been covered up, there's also been a link made between large mounds which were man, human constructed within the United States. There appears to have been that these mounds and the discovery of the skeletons of the giants are at the same place. So it would appear as though the giants were somehow associated with the construction of these mounts.
2: Oh. Okay. So the, the, the,
1: the, the, the hypothesis which has been tabled by the Americans, or the people involved in this, is that there was a race of hominid giants, which existed in North America before the introduction of Homo sapiens. And don't get me started on the dwarves.
2: Okay. I mean, How long ago was this? Are they purporting?
1: Yeah, duh, 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 duh. they think could it could have be been up to 300,000 years ago.
2: Okay. I mean, not what not looked into it, but it sounds at least plausible. Just more than I can say about any other topic of fitness.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's always fact. There's fact on this. There's
1: evidence. evidence. There's evidence. There's supposedly evidence. supposedly evidence.
2: So I'm quite happy so about make that.
1: make of it what you will.
2: I mean, it, like you said, Jake and... Gigantism or giantism as a thing, though. Yeah, we but it's, it's more
1: about the fact that there's a population that existed which had this
2: in modern humans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, three hundred thousand years ago, maybe. Why not? In I mean, it seems to speak skeletons. Like you say, from what was believed to be a very um, relatively infrequent uh, g- genetic condition. Yeah, yeah, genetic condition in uh, modern humans. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. Have been likely for...
1: But that would that would put it at around the time when Homo sapiens were first evolving. So to suggest
2: that Yeah. yeah,
1: You know, so it's just it just throws that into context and then I mean there's it's the whole thing with all this ancient stuff is that oh everything is older than we think it is. Everything must be older than we think it is. So it's just that. So it's possible. But then it throws everything into question about what we understand about the evolution of hominids.
2: Well doesn't so an in question.
1: It upset it upsets the experts.
2: Yeah, but presumably it's consistent with our current understanding. Yeah. It's just a different branch. Yeah. Hominids.
0: But yeah, if that's that. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dan. Is there much to discuss of this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
1: don't, I think I think there's I think there's actually almost almost consensus, which is <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I think. Is, the yeah. end of the year?
2: We've not looked into it. We're taking what you've said as fact that these skeletons were found in close proximity that's <laughs> <nonsense>. <laughs> I mean did, did we get the stuff in about the deferral Giant? So we'll, we'll go over him one more time
1: uh, no that's that's it that's it good that. that's
2: all I care about that's fine thanks well for thanks me. again anyway.
0: Dan for Crypto Corner uh, and thank you to all our listeners this is Can I Interject you can find us at Twitter at interjects underscore I or can I interject podcast at gmail.com and that's a goodbye from me, thanks very much that's a goodbye from me and a goodbye from me Welcome back, everybody, and it's time for the fact check of the episode. We've all had a little listen back, and we are going to point out our flaws. Gregor's going to give us his detailed list of what he seemed to find. is usually hot in the button with these. Thanks, Go Neil. For hot it a Gregor. The hot in the
2: button. <laughs> yep. first one is from me. Uh, th- 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 say? I, th- I think I claimed that Mindful Chef was the vegan delivery box, but that's actually, it uh, looks like Tesco's line of plant based meals. And the delivery box is. Sorry, Michael Chef is the delivery box, and I said Plant Chef, and Plant Chef's so Tesco line. Uh, so check them out if you're vegan and you're interested in uh, delivery boxes. Or not vegan. Or not vegan, and just enjoy the plant va- based diet every now and again. Whatever your affiliation may be. Uh, next one, uh, also for me actually, this. It surprised me it didn't surprise me. This was the calories and Doritos. So there's 506 calories and 100 grams of Doritos. And that was more than Neil's sort of light poor scratchings that he had and I mean still less than the 630 odd that were in in the pack I had. Um, but yeah, I probably should have known this and uh, on the show I said that they were a lot lower, uh, but in fact they were fairly comparable. Uh, but obviously uh, the poor scratchings got a lot higher fat and protein content in comparison to the carbohydrates in Doritos. Both winners. one, no? both winners both winners. oh fat and protein, fat yeah. protein. The, the last thing I wanted to raise was on the giant segment on the Conspiracy Corner now Dan might have a bit to say about this next episode however it may not have been apparent to our listeners that Neil and I were without Dan's audio for a good two and a half <laughs> minutes of Conspiracy Corner yep, I was talking to myself and I feel that we arrived at an inopportune moment Um, when he started discussing that skeletons had been found, and so we took we didn't mention this was a sort of uh, this wasn't we don't actually have the skeletons in any sort of institution the religion destroyed and and, and, I certainly wasn't aware of this uh, when we were listening to it, Uh, but having having listened back to it and then done some summary research I think we can or I'm certainly going to go back on what I said was, well, I suppose it's still plausible, but uh, certainly by no means evident from the uh, from the evidence, I suppose. And so I think on this point, I found a couple of articles, Dan might have something to say about this, but it was claimed on the show that 17 skeletons were found and they all were over 7 feet, but the articles I found were that the Smithsonian Institute had like tens of thousands of skeletons that ranged from 6 feet to 12 feet tall, and they were all destroyed um as a, as part of a cover up. Uh, but the the research I could find on the article suggested that it was it was completely fictitious. That they were had these skills it was done by sort of I can't remember the the name of the site, but your sort of uh, normal sort of spoof uh newspaper. So never intended to be taken literally, I suppose. Dan and Taz?
1: Um I think I think I I sort of tried to steer clear of any any seriously big numbers you know like you say that there were some that said hundreds of what tens of tens of thousands yeah. and i thought well you know you can you can tell when you get a bit into the the world of of pure imagination so i thought i'd try to keep the the numbers to a conservative level the numbers that i found rather than sort of getting into the spurious numbers that they be that they be spreading i think it's a it's a it's a funny one because it's it's a lot more it's one of those ones where there's a lot more science behind it, rather than just in a way, you know, it, compared to a lot of other ones. There's a lot more science behind it. There's a lot more research by, you know, um, uh, institutions and universities and, and people who have PhDs for, for for valid reasons, rather than PhDs they printed off the internet. So it's it, it was it,
2: it was a trickier one, which was why I tried to
1: sort of filter it down a bit.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's definitely a, a credible line of research. Ancient humans, yeah, um, whether it be giant or not. Uh, but I, d- I just didn't find anything. Sort of uh, anything. I mean, I'm not an expert in this field, but certainly on the face of it, there's nothing that pointed to a race of uh, giant humanoids existing uh, in prehistory. Yeah, and I'll stand by that. Well, the, rather than comment, the, the, comments, the, the I don't know if you want to consensus. make any comment on <laughs> I don't know if you want to say anything, Neil. Now that you've listened to Dan Dan's uh, full fuller explanation.
0: Uh, no, well I was just gonna comment on the port scratchings that I said they were light I did try and <laughs> find stuff, Neil. Uh, <laughs> back to the calories and port scratchings. Uh, I think Gregor, I tried to push that they were three hundred calories per packet or whatever, but they're that is the very light versions and the bulk of them. Ninety percent of the ones on the shelf I would say are then the average six hundred calories per hundred grams.
2: Right. That's my uh, my input. Yeah, it didn't make sense because the fat content would, as you know, the breakdown of how the sort of macronutrients of calories works. The fat content would be even minimal.
0: And I was aware of it. Then I searched the the nutrition facts on Google, and that's what kept that it spit out that number as well. Right. And the and the packets I I buy don't have nutritional information on them. <laughs>
2: Is that not legal?
0: Buy them by the, the back. The bag oh, right, at, the farm, okay. at the farm
2: shop. Interesting. <laughs> uh, well, that's it for me. Um, that's all I picked up. I don't know if you picked up anything else. I did, but I can't remember anymore. But
1: so, oh, I need to remember that. I, I, have, a, I have a habit of just listening and not writing down. <laughs> but I'm
2: sure you've picked up on the things that I did. Great. Oh, actually, no, there's one more. This was interesting to me. Um, I said that I mean, I listened to it back, I, I quoted, I said HelloFresh and then I quoted the revenue numbers for HelloFresh and then went on to say immediately that it was a profitable company. Not realising at the time that obviously, well I did realise but I just didn't, I uh, don't know why I made the link, but, but profit has nothing to do with revenue necessarily and so just because I had a high revenue did not mean it was profitable. But it was actually profitable I had this first profitable year in 2019. Uh, for a turnover of 1.8 billion, it made uh, 45 million profit in 2019 and 115 million through Q3 2020. So, big, big jump in profits so this year. After, well, I can presume that it's, we're not the only ones that have looked into the meal delivery yeah, box market. Jumped this on year, the bandwagon last year, I
0: will come I'll comment on that. When you said revenue, you know, I did, I did fact check that at the time because oh. you said profit and revenue, so I was like, hmm. But no, I did, I did check at the time; it was on a, it was profiting and increasing in profits. A new, a new year and a new Neil. who's fact
2: checking things now. This, <laughs> this could get dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, actually, the, I mean, I'd hope, I'd like to credit this to the success of the podcast, uh, but unfortunately, this episode hasn't been out yet. And so, HelloFresh would have no way of knowing, but they sent me a, an offer uh, 50% off for my first box, 30% off for the second, and two 10%ers for the third and fourth. So, probably going to start it back up in a couple of weeks.
1: They knew, they knew something was going on.
2: Yep. So, yeah, that that is, is truly it for me now. Thank you, everybody, for listening
0: once again. Yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks for the usual shenanigans. Uh, and that's a goodbye. We'll see you next time.